Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Brooklet Games. Go to patreon.com backslash Brooklet Games for beautifully crafted content that provokes creative problem-solving and dramatic scenarios. Brooklyngames.com, find zines and more, patreon.com backslash Brooklet Games. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. This is your host, Light the Lightfinger Thief, and here I'm joined by Logar. Hello, I am Logar the Barbarian. So, Logar the Barbarian, but back in the old first edition, I don't think barbarians were around yet, were they? No, I think we just had to roll up a fighter and say that fighter was a barbarian. I mean, barbarians were around. Conan was a barbarian. Conan, <laughs> was, was, a bar- well, Conan was like a barbarian slash thief. <laughs> The classes, uh, so like, I think that there's a, there's a way that the classes are perceived is that like, you have to be stuck in this very narrow thing, but a fighter can be a lot of things, including a barbarian. In fact, later editions that brought up the barbarian has the barbarian as a fighter subclass. So most of what you want to make in the AD&D world, you can understand that a fighter is all kinds of fighters. Well, different types of fighters is very generic. (laughs) Yeah. So we're looking at what? Dungeon Master's Guide, first edition from 1979 is the one I'm looking at. Yeah, the official Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Master's Guide by Gary Gygax. We figured instead of the the Dragon Mags we've been looking at that we'd crack this puppy open and go through it. And we'll start at the very beginning. Page seven. (laughs) Not page one, but page seven. Because Fish. before that, we have we have uh, we have the forward. Uh, I'll, I'll start the forward. Page two. There's all the you know. There's page all the, one uh, is special reference. It says special reference work. Now it, the book is called a special reference work here on page one. A compiled volume of information. It's a compilation, right? <laughs> yes. So it's a compiled volume of information primarily used by advanced Dungeons and Dragons game referees. Yep. Including combat tables, monster lists and encounters, treasure and magic tables, descriptions, random dungeon generations, random wilderness terrain generations, suggestions on game mastering, and more by Gary Gygax. Now, the one that I have, the cover was by David Sutherland with the Efreet. And then yes. what the artwork was by uh, the Trampier, Era Oldest. So some of the, uh, well, original <laughs> for sure, artist. And, uh- I, I have the edition that I have here that I've had forever is the, the cover by Jeff Easley, which I, I'm not going to lie. I like the second run, second the later printing covers that Jeff Easley did a little more than the originals. Oh, I know sh- that's heresy to some. <laughs> sh- sh- show me the Easley cover. The Easley cover? He's like... Ah, uh, like- uh, yes. It's the robed, the robed Dungeon Master. Yeah, he's got like a green robe on. He's opening a door and it's real, it's real cool looking. I like it. I appreciate that cover. Yep. All right. So let's go to the forward. Who was done by well, the, Mike Mike Carr? Mike Carr. I don't think I know Mike Carr. <laughs> so so I we may have two different forwards. What's the forward of I have the preface. Mine starts with the the one that I have the printing that I have was come came out in. Let me see when this was printed. Oh poop! I put on my readers. I forgot to put on my readers. <laughs> the printing I have is uh ooh 
April of 19, actually it's April of 1988. So it was probably 10 years later than some yeah, of the earlier Yeah, sorry. The, the one I'm looking at is from May of 1979. <laughs> so the four, there's a foreword here. The foreword's by Mike Carr. Uh, I do have the foreword. Uh, the dungeon mastering in art or science? An interesting question. For sure. If you consider the pure creative aspect of starting from scratch, the personal touch. Is there anything that stood out to you in the foreword itself? Well, I think what was it was interesting was that, you know, even back in 1979, they were saying that, you know, you can do stuff from scratch with a personal touch and the DM is the final call. So, you know, the DM is a guide. It's not a law book per se. And I feel like, you know, even back then they had highlighted it as such because we're well aware of today's rules lawyers that we run into and such. But this is, again, supposed to be a guide or a tool, not a law book. <laughs> yeah, and this uh, there there are some conflicting messages I pick up when I'm reading through. Like, I'm going through the preface now, and it talks a lot about suiting it to your, to your personal campaign. To your campaign personal campaign, yeah. How these things may change. Uh, and it talks about how there's limits, checks, balances are placed in the system itself. Um, one thing I found was interesting is that at a point it starts going on about buying only official AD&D material, which I thought was funny. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> I, um, yeah, so I saw that as well, too, which is interesting because you know, even back then they're like only buy from the official blah, 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 blah. You know, do not buy from anybody else. They do mention Judges Guild as an approved official supplier for AD&D. But it's funny because, you know, we're in the middle of the whole ogl update that's causing a lot of headaches and such <laughs> yeah. for people so yeah you know they're, they're very clear in terms of buying official licensed gear and um uh, it looks like you know back then only the judges guild was the uh official supplier <laughs> looking at the history of the game and the lawsuits and things that occurred over the years between different companies it's this is just a precursor to what would come and, and what we're seeing now <laughs> yep the, now this also, there there are a lot of rules that are presented in here that I don't know everybody's going to use all the time. The no. introductions, the introductions, interesting. It, I, I the way I take it is that you should be using what works for you when you when you need it. And, and now Agreed. sometimes, uh, he talks about knowing the system. You will know how to take upon yourself the ultimate power. So he kind of goes in about knowing these rules and stuff like that. Some of these rules will be used in some cases, not in others. And some of them you might just want to disregard is one thing I feel is approaching this. And what's interesting is that we right after we get all the introductions and we get the preface, we go into the dice. And unlike other games, a lot of times when you read it, just telling you what the dice are, it takes a lot of focus on discussing the distribution and the bell curve of the different dice. Yeah, so it goes into a lot of the uh, probability and statistics for the bell curve, starting with the uh, 3D6 for rolling attributes, primarily. Um, so, yeah, it's they're saying what, you know, the average of a 3D6 is if you have a 9 or 10, 9 through 11 range, you're going to be an average. <laughs> yeah, and that's what you kind of expected for characters. Yep. Um, and, th well, after it goes through all the different dice, and it's interesting to read because they're using, like, 20s as 10s and stuff like that. This is probably written, you know, the, not probably. This was definitely written in an era where the polyhedron dice were not as massive. Were not very common. <laughs> yeah. Accessible. You had to go to, like, a, what, a special math 
Matt's store supplier to be able to find some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, or I'm sure certain game uh, hobby stores and things like that would carry them at the time as well. Then it talks about minis. Well, minis and mapping, right? Minis and the hex scale. Yeah, that's where they start getting into the, using the official uh, approved for use with advanced Dungeons and Dragons will be offered by select manufacturers. <laughs> select manufacturers, again. <laughs> now, the rules for minis aren't very expansive here. No, that's I guess they're assuming that people have played Chainmail or whatever it was before or some of the other earlier. Well, it seems almost like you're meant to bring like your character for assumption, like like uh, almost just to represent your character, your figure, just as a representation right. on the table a lot of times, unless it's a t- combat tactical game. And the way that it talks about it, it, it talks about the scale a little bit, but it mostly says you know so that you can just kind of. The, the the gist that I get off of this is that you're looking at the map you've made with your one-inch hexes. Right, and, and see how this fits. <laughs> yeah, and, and using kind of your uh, working with what you're seeing there. Not as much like trying to find a specific rule for moving on there or anything else. You know the movement rates of creatures from other elements in there. Right. You know the size of your hexes, so that's apparent that how build you your, yeah. <laughs> your, your scale. Now, Logar, I, I had a question for you. Yeah. So I found something interesting. I found a typo in my version. Where was the typo? So if you look on the area on aids to playing advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Aids to playing advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, yes. so, you, so you see the section around the du- Judges Guild that we talked about? Yes. So after that, I have a typo on my version where it says at the end of the paragraph, while there are many works which appear to be useful in campaign, only those bearing advanced Dungeons and Dragons logo and approval marks should be used. They left out the G in Dungeons. It says Dungeons. Oh, and you is know that, what? Is you that know your, what? Is that in your version? In 1988, they did not rectify that. The D is not the, the G is the not, G's not there. there. So it says Advanced Dungeons, Dungeons and, and Dragons. Dragons. I think we found a loophole <laughs> to this whole copyright logo. All we gotta do is publish stuff that's As, for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Not advanced Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Dungeons. Dungeons. <laughs> If it's Dunyans, then we get around to the trademark, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, because they already printed it in nineteen in, in 1970-something. <laughs> ah. Oh, man. But anyways, I, I thought that was funny. But, you know, they do mention that only the approved suppliers in the Great Britain is TSR Hobbies, and then in the U.S. it would be Judges Guild. So Now, they do this thing here where they they also do a few little interesting things with, in, in the dice area where they talk about card dice. Uh, author has using playing cards, the, yeah, playing card dice and things like that, and how to yeah. use them. But then we get onto the methods of rolling, which I think is something interesting because I hear a lot in the old school about rolling 3D3 3D line. <laughs> yeah, that's not an option in this. <laughs> well, here, there's more flexibility, which is a little bit more how we do it modernly with. You want to talk about the four methods that they outlined here? Sure. The first method is that all scores are recorded and arranged in the order the player desires. 4d6 are rolled and the lowest die, or one of the lower, is discarded. Which is a system that we've used before. Yeah, that's one that I've used a lot. Yeah, but method two, all all scores are recorded and arranged as in method one by player's choice. 3d6 are rolled 12 times. And the highest six are retained. That's, I like that. I've never used that's a lot. I've done stuff like that where I have folks roll like a three d six, but they roll a lot of stats and choose from those the ones they want. From I have the uh, from the pool, which is yes, more of a pool style. Uh, you want to talk about method three? 
scores rolled according to each ability category in order, and then 3d6 are rolled six times for each ability. For each ability. And the highest score in each category is retained for that category. I feel this might be the one you get the highest highest stats with of these. You're rolling it yeah. six times and choosing of those six. Yeah, it's like getting the high, your highest roll for an ability array. Because usually you roll the six abilities. Your highest roll for each one, essentially, what you get out of there. That would be, yeah, that's all. That, that'd be a pretty, pretty powerful. But <laughs> what I want to bring up, Logar, is so you and I have played a lot of OSR. So you yes. see how the abilities are li- listed as strength, intelligence, wisdom, dex, con, and charisma. Yes. In 5e, it's not listed that way. How is it listed? Strength, dex, con, intelligence, wisdom, charisma in 5e. Ah. A so yeah, we're different. changing the the order. And I think that I think that strength, dex, constitution is how a lot of editions have ordered it that I've seen over the years. I'm curious who made that change first, and when that when that shifted around. Now that you brought that up, that's something we have to look into. Yeah, we need to look at that because uh, I'm used to you know strength, intelligence, wisdom, blah blah blah. So when we started playing Five E, when I ordered my uh, attributes, I ordered it in this strength, intelligence, wisdom, dex, con, charisma order, and then I looked at it, I was like, oh, wait a minute, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> then the fourth method. This is a similar to the one that. We just talked about that you mentioned method two, which is pooling it, right? Yes. You, you roll three d six enough times to generate six ability scores in order for twelve characters, and then you select the one that you want the most. So you're gonna essentially it's just rolling twelve twelve characters, stat arrays. yeah, right, yeah. So you have twelve characters, and then you pull your best character, I guess. Yeah, or the one you want the most. Like I guess if you're doing it in in a row, you could be like, well, this character has higher stats, but this other one has high stats where I want them to be for the class I want. Right. So there's that. If you're not you're not assigning where they go, you're kind of they're random this way. I like that. So you're giving birth to twelve characters, and then you can either pick and choose, or you can be like, well, this one's closer to a fighter class, so I'll pick the one with the highest strength. Yeah, going with the one that works for the class that you're going for most, uh, that would be most beneficial stat array to have for the class you're trying to play, at least. Yeah, but what's curious, Logar, here, I don't see any mention of prime and secondary attributes yet. Nope, there's nothing like that yet. (laughs) When when, when do prime and secondary attributes come into play, then? Uh, Prime attributes? You mean like with castles and crusades? Uh, No, those prime attributes and secondary attributes existed in... A D and D as well too. Oh, like the- for that for the attribute for what your class that you're playing, you mean? What, right. What, so that's gonna be that's gonna be so your player's handbook's gonna have like okay, this must this character must have X a minimum one, of yeah. fourteen or whatever it is. Yeah, for, that's player's yeah. handbook stuff there. So you will have uh, that. It won't be the same as like a prime for CNC where your prime is is sure. a, a dot on it and it gives you a better thing for it. Now, non-player characters, it gives you different ways to roll them up. What's interesting, there's a few different ways. There's non-player characters, so of course you do the ability scores, NPCs, you use a part of the milieu. Um, one, there's a couple interesting ways here. One of them is rolling 3d6 for your ability, but doing an average score by considering anything that's a 1 as a 3 and a 6 as a 4, so it moves them closer into the center. So it moves them closer to the center of the bell curve, like we talked yeah. about earlier, which makes sense if you're an average general and then they have special characters, including henchmen, can roll 3d6 for a general characters, but allow for the full range, except in ability or abilities, which are 
supposed to be their stronger points, you're going to add a plus one to every die of the uh, that is uh what that's is under it? six yeah that's under six so if it's not high it's gonna get a plus one so for those attributes that they need to be good in essentially and in yeah. this model we're rolling up a full character i guess for an npc essentially and then it also talks about the limitations of wish on the abilities because one of the limitations is once you hit like 18 or was it 16 or something like that it was 16 yeah one tenth of a of a ability of a of an attribute point per wish. So when you wish, I want to be wish I was stronger. Wishes can give you a plus one or whatever to your strength or whatever it is you're trying to increase through the wish. But after you hit sixteen, it limitates that. So like you have to have ten wishes. Ten to wishes to get to seventeen. Yep. Which is an odd rule, but uh... well, I don't think it's odd. I, I, I it's one that I've seen for a long time and I'm used to. And I think the purpose is because you are not going over eighteen. Going over 18 at this point in the game is kind of like an unheard of thing. That's something that, like, when game gets more powerful. And well, if you're later, uh, like a demigod, but I'm talking about 16. I'm not, I'm not talking about 18. I'm talking about having 10 wishes to go from 16 to 17, I find odd. It's, it's acknowledging that that 18 is extremely high and hard to get to. <laughs> How often are you going to be able to find 10 wishes in any campaign? That's oh yeah, I'm not gonna be giving out ten wishes per campaign. That's yeah, no <laughs> well, I think that's where we're about have time for today. Next time, then when we get back to this, uh, hopefully the next ep- episode we decide to look at this again, we'll be talking about uh things like skills and skills like and that. professions. So stay tuned. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter and TikTok at LogarHaleCrom. We're on Patreon. We can really use support. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling. Let us know if you're rolling 3d6 or 4d6.